Welcome to Humanity Unlocked, where we know that listening to someone's story with an intent to gain insight is an important key in unlocking each person's humanity. Your host, Kimberly, is known for her profound curiosity in human behavior, giving her a long-standing reputation for being a deeply engaged and exceptional listener. Each one of us has a unique origin story that helps to explain the unfolding of the path we've traveled. When the story gets told, it provides a glimpse into the context and nuances that we, the listeners, may have otherwise never considered. Join Kimberly as she embarks on the journey of a lifetime to unlock and reveal the humanity of every person she meets. Here's Kimberly. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Humanity Unlocked. I am your host, Kimberly Diet, and today our guest is Yelena Cheerney. I was introduced to Yelena by our beloved resident therapist, Katira Ross, who is also joining us in the studio. Earlier this summer, Katira came to me with the idea of bringing Yelena on the podcast to talk about her experience with chronic illness. She shared a few details with me, passed along Yelena's contact info, and I reached out a few weeks later. Um, during our phone call, Yelena told me the story of two different people. The Yelena before and the Yelena after. It all started when this very type A driven, high energy young woman was confronted with the kind of stress that every mother fears after the birth of her first child. Her infant daughter wasn't well and she spent the next several years getting her the medical care she needed in order to keep her alive. Meanwhile, Yelena's own body was deteriorating. She is here today to tell us her story while the details of this story are unique to her own life, the sequence of how they occurred is textbook and is something many of us who have fought this fight will relate with. I'm so happy she's here. And without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Elena, and welcome back, Katira. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Okay. Um, we are going to start from the beginning. Yelena, um, your story begins at age 17. Yeah, is that right? That is correct. Okay. When you married your high school sweetheart, yeah. Alexander, who you've been with since age 14, yes. you went on to work multiple jobs in the cosmetology field and started having kids when you were 26. How would you describe your lifestyle, just so we can get a good contrast, your lifestyle and personality prior to having your children? Yeah, I got married very, very young. I started dating my husband when I was 14, and by age 17, um, we decided to get married. Um, my, I grew up in a semi-strict um, family, so my mom was not a big fan of me dating at such a young age, and she would always tell me, like, you either get married or you break up because this is just not okay for you to be going out with this boy every single day. This is this is not okay. Oh um, so we were like, well, we love each other, so let's just go for it. Um, and everybody thought we were crazy, but we're going to be celebrating our 20-year anniversary in March. Wow. Um, so it, it worked out for the best. Yeah. Um, but my, my journey definitely began, um, just to give you a quick rundown of what my life was like before I had my first child, Alexandra, is that because we got married so young, we had to start from scratch. Um, my husband wanted to pursue a career in law and I as an attorney as an attorney yeah. correct um so we worked multiple jobs we put each other through school I went through cosmetology school I worked um as a legal secretary um he also worked and went to school and we worked multiple jobs trying to 
trying to do it all, trying yeah. to put ourselves through school and do all the things. And at about age 26, I got pregnant um, with Alexandra. That is about the time that Alex was beginning law school. Um, Alexandra was a surprise. And I... So you were not try. you were not, you had no plans to get pregnant no, at 26? No, no, I did not. I thought to myself, I'm going to wait until my husband is graduated. Life is going to be great. Mm-hmm. We're going to be financially set. Everything is going to be perfect. And... You were planning uh, it. Yes, yeah. yes. And I was like a type A personality where I was juggling, working at the law office, working at the salon, taking clients and at home. I was just all over the place, wow. and I and I was fine. I, I I liked being busy, and even on the little times that I had off, I was at the gym. I was very, just like a social butterfly. I just loved being out and about, um, and I was just excited for the future. It was hard, but it was great. Yeah, um, you liked being busy. I did. I did. Yeah. So when I had Alexandra and I gave birth to her, to her through C-section because she was breached and she was actually really small. She was measuring small for um, for the time that she was supposed to be. So I delivered her. She was four pounds and 14 ounces at 28 weeks. Mm. So I'm sorry, at 30, at 38 weeks. 38 um, weeks. Okay. So... She was very, very tiny, very very tiny. tiny. And I have noticed that um, just by with all my hormones and everything going through, I just didn't realize how much work a little baby would be. And I didn't comprehend like, okay, she's supposed to be eating on the breast for this long of a time and I was just like so type A and so quick and wanted to do all the things I was like okay she well she fed for like five minutes okay she's good um, <laughs> <laughs> she's probably good um, yeah but I've noticed that she doesn't really nurse for that long yeah. um, and honestly looking back now it's crazy that we were even discharged from crazy. the hospital yeah um, because she wasn't gaining weight she was losing weight um but I think the nurse and the doctors just saw how active I was in yeah. the uh, recovery room. And I was like pumping and feeding her, but she wasn't nursing very long. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to continue to pump and nurse and do these things. So they're like, okay, this She's mom. She's got this. Yeah, this mom is <laughs> yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so I brought her home and I just noticed that. She was always sleeping, and she was very um, drowsy, and it was just like she was just not nursing very long, and I started noticing that whenever I would try to give her a binky or a bottle, like she would do a lot of gagging um, and a lot of throwing up, and I would ask her pediatrician about that, and they're like, well, babies, you know, they spit up all (laughs) the time. but there was a time where I was just driving myself crazy because I was understanding that I'm not getting enough food inside of her because she's losing weight. Yeah. So I had purchased an infant baby scale and I would weigh her every day mm-hmm. and before and after meals. And I started noticing that she's losing weight and she's not gaining weight. And That's she was funny. already born so tiny and so skinny. Um, that I just knew that there was something wrong and she just kept 
throwing up and throwing up, and it wasn't just a spit up. No. It was like... There's a difference. Yeah. You know, a ton that would come out of her. And um, at about um, about two months into this, uh, she was hospitalized for dehydration, and um, they also discovered that she had a UTI at that point, probably because she wasn't getting very much mm-hmm. um, water or liquids through mm-hmm. her. And as a new mom, I was, like, she, I just fell in love with this kid. Like, I felt like I've never known love until I had her. And I didn't expect that. I always thought, like, I'm going to have kids. They're going to sleep. They're going to eat. They're going to play. Like, Hmm. like, no, she's going to go shopping with me. Like, she's going to go into my life Mm -hmm. and go on with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I... I always just had that mentality, like it's fine. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna do it all. I even yeah. planned to go back to work, and I talked to my boss that I was gonna bring in a little tiny crib. She's gonna sleep next to me. I'm gonna keep working. I'm gonna do all these things. Everything's gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. And when I had her, it felt like my life had just been yeah, torched, stopped. <laughs> stopped. <Yeah. laughs> like there was yeah. no there was no Yelena, and there yeah. was no schedule, and there was like all I was doing is trying to get food into this little tiny baby constantly walking around with bottles um, and pumping and doing all the things so when she was hospitalized um, the doctors told me that um, she's not getting the nutrition that she needs we don't know why we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and admit you this was at Mercy San Juan. We're going to do some testing on her. We're going to see why this child is not eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so we stayed there for a few days, and they did a few tests, and everything came back negative, and they were puzzled. They're mm-hmm. like, we have no idea why this child is not interested in eating, um, but we can't send you home mm-hmm. because we need to either get her on a feeding tube. Um, even then, it's not a permanent solution. Um, probably a GI tube, um, something more permanent. And I was just terrified of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so after after running a few tests, they decided that they would send us to UC Davis because they had um, a more advanced technology for children. So we were taken there. And at this time, my husband is in law school. He's working full time till 5 p.m. and he's starting school from 6 to 9:30 um Monday through Friday and he is gone and it's just me and and her. And how old was she at this point? Uh she was about 2 months. Okay, so she's still like very much an infant. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. And um so yeah, I I for the first time was I understood that it's just me and her and I have to somehow figure this out yeah. uh, on my own. And I was terrified. I was terrified to lose her because for the first time, I thought that I'm going to have this healthy baby and she's going to nurse all day and she's going to be super chunky and, <laughs> uh, you know, she's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And here I was with a child that was losing weight, was super tiny, super scary. Um, and everybody that looked at her were just like, Oh my gosh, is she a preemie? Oh my gosh, is and and I would like have to explain her situation yeah. to them, and it was it was scary even to me. So after 
we went to uc davis they decided to run some more testing on her some even repeat testing that have already been done and it was terrifying to me well first just to give you a picture i was placed in the room with no windows with a tiny little crib and my baby was on all kinds of tubes and IVs and all kinds of things and she was blue. Her arms and legs were all blue because they couldn't find a vein on her because she was so dehydrated um, and babies their IVs come out so often and because I was not in the medical field like every time they would take her back and try to put IVs and tubes back into her that she had either ripped out or came out like I would just sob the whole mm -hmm. time it was so hard for me to tolerate seeing her in pain and discomfort um, and I was a mess I was a mess I was always sweaty crying <laughs> pumping um, and I could care less about how I looked or what I ate or what I drank yeah. I just was like so consumed with her at that point and I was placed in this like tiny room that I had to share with another little boy that was under the age of one and his mom was not there and he would cry all the time um, and his it was mom just wasn't so there? no no she wasn't she was oh. a mom of multiple kids and her baby was just there all the time um, and it was just, I just remember just being like, I didn't have a bed. I had just a chair that I lived in and pumped. Like I had to figure out what am I going to do with my milk? Like she's not eating it, but I'm producing it and I can't stop producing it because the doctors had told me like all these tests that they're doing. They're like, she has so much sores and a, a, like in her esophagus, right? Esophagus. Yeah. Um, it's so good that you have breast milk because that is probably the only thing that's going to heal that. Yeah. So I was also stuck on this mentality like god forbid i stop producing milk like it's going to get so much worse i can't stop and then also having to realize that every time your child is put under for any type of tests they wake up very groggy like she every time she would get scoped or anything like that i remember one specific moment where she woke up and she was like coughing and little tiny parts of um blood were uh, she was coughing up mm -hmm. just from probably the scraping mm -hmm. and i it was just so hard to tolerate and to see in this tiny little baby yeah. and every time they would do a test they're like well here's what we're testing for and then you would read about that test and you're like oh god no 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 not not this yeah. like let it be something else but not this right. um and Jeez. so after i i spent about eight days at UC Davis in this tiny room where I didn't leave the room. I had very little visitors because it's a like an IC for tiny little babies, so not a lot of people can come in and out whenever they please. Um, my husband was never available, and even the little time that he had, he had to study. Um, and it was very difficult for him to focus or study. So most of the time he just preferred to go to a Starbucks or just mm -hmm. yeah. somewhere where he can study. Um, and when I was losing it with him, he's like, somebody's got to pay for it, all yeah, of these expenses. True. Like you yeah, have to understand, yeah, like it yeah. can't be there for you. So I was just, I felt so alone. I just remember being in that room and thinking, if this baby dies, I pray that I die with her. 
because I can't, I can't move on with my life if she goes. And at that moment, it was so heightened inside of me that there were nights that I wouldn't even sleep. I would just hover over her and check to see if she's breathing. And it was like, mm. I was not able to, like my nervous system was so yeah. hyped up. Like there was no way that I could even sleep, even if I wanted to sleep. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was pumping like crazy. And all I had at that mo for that week was like a bag of almonds from Costco mm -hmm. and water and like a few apples. And even though people were like, you know, you know, reaching out and saying like do you need anything or you know you don't know what you need yeah at that moment um you yeah. can't like you don't know well you're not thinking about yourself you're, you're really all. not you're and just like consumed by her by the immediate need of your child and yeah. i i think yeah. you know it's good to point out too that like you know i had two healthy children and when you have a baby it literally turns your there's no way to prepare for it it turns yeah. your life completely upside down and anything you thought you knew just throw it out the window because yeah. nine times out of ten guess what we've got news for you this child is like <laughs> you're a new full-time job kind yeah. of thing but yeah. having a child who is has met a medical condition is i it's like i can't even imagine it being you know because it makes what we have to go through as new mothers seem like it's just because your essential nerve or your um sympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. is so rocked out of place yeah. when you're in that level of trauma after just giving birth um so this obviously took a gigantic toll on you and i um i want i, I i'm trying to see if i want to just give a little bit of before i i, I want to ask Katira something um they did essentially um uh, it, they did discover that she had never developed the sensory mechanism in her mouth to tolerate the consumption of food, which was sort of the, the what, what they told you. Um, so that's what was causing the constant vomiting and the hospitalization. And then any of the, the medications they were prescribing weren't working. Um, and we're going to go to what happened when she, oh, she was, a, you know, over the next couple of years. But I do want to ask Katira, because um, this this episode essentially is, is, is mostly about you, but this is sort of setting the stage yeah. for how... I think chronic illness a lot of times will happen. Um, Katira, we've talked about this before, the effect that stress can have on, on one's physical health. And I would assume that this this level of intense ongoing stress can create, um, I mean, what I would call a breeding ground for chronic health conditions to come in. Do, do you know a lot about how that works? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes stress, it can be a positive force, you know, that motivates us to perform well. Like if you think of like having like a job in interview. Yeah. But, you know, it can also, you know, be a negative force, um, like, you know, being like stuck in traffic. So if you experience stress over a prolonged period of time, it can become chronic unless you take some sort of action to get it under control. Um, you know, and stress can be both felt in your body and in your mind. Um, and there's this automatic response that was developed in our ancient ancestors, like as a way to protect them from, you know, predators and other, other threats. Right. So when you're faced with danger, the body kicks into gear and basically, it's like flooding the body with stress hormones, mm -hmm. you know, such as like adrenaline and cortisol that essentially elevates the heart rate, um, increases your blood pressure, you know, can boost your energy and prepare you to deal with like the problem at hand. I mean, even though like in our world today, it's not we're not necessarily being threatened, you know, of being eaten. But Chased we, by a by a wild animal, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but we confront multiple challenges every day. I mean, that could be things like you know, meeting work deadlines, paying bills juggling work, taking care of children, 
that can make our body react in the same way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a result, the body's natural alarm system, which we refer to as like the fight or flight right. um, response, basically is like stuck in the on position, which can ultimately have serious consequences to our health. Right. Um, and so I just want to like kind of share just like two, the two forms of stress. Um, so the one, first one's like the minor stress, which is like a short-lived, you know, think of like having a stomach ache before you do a presentation in front of a bunch of people. Um, and that can have an Im- impact on your health. Um, another form of stress, which we call major acute stress, which is like, you know, you're fighting with your spouse or your partner, um, or you experience like an earthquake, you know, that can have a bigger impact. Um, if you experience, you know, repeated acute stress, it may also contribute to inflammation in the circulatory system, um, particularly in the coronary arteries, um, which is like the pathway that, you know, they tend to uh, tie stress to as if, when you have a heart attack. Yeah. Um, and also how a person responds to stress can definitely affect like your cholesterol levels. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the other more serious form of, of stress is chronic stress, which is more long-term. And that really starts to interfere with your ability to live a normal life uh, for an extended period of time because it becomes more dangerous. Um, the longer the stress lasts, of course, the worse it is for both your mind and your body. Um, you can start feeling fatigue, you have difficulty concentrating, you know, have irritable mood for no reason. Um, so chronic stress you know, causes so much wear and tear on your body um, and the long-term activation of stress the, re- you know, the stress response system and the, ner- the overexposure to cortisol um, and all those other stress hormones um, that come with it can essentially disrupt almost all of your body's processes. Like including your immune system, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and this can put you at an increased risk for a variety of physical and mental health problems, um, including anxiety, depression, digestive issues, headaches, muscle tension and pain, heart disease, heart attack. I mean, the list goes on, right. sleep problems weight gain. Um, So chronic stress, you know, can also cause disease, um, either because of the changes in your body or just, you know, bad habits that we as Mm -hmm. people use to cope with stress, you know, overeating, smoking, you know, turning to substance abuse. Um, Other forms of chronic stress, such as depression and low levels of social support, um, have also been linked to an increased cardiovascular risk. So, I mean, if you think about it, chronic stress can suppress the body's immune system, like you mentioned. Um, just making it really hard to recover from illnesses. Right, right. And so it's like, um, I I feel like I've heard it explained to me a few years ago that like, if if you're under a lot of stress and your immune so your immune system's taking a hit and then and something some kind of vi- like Epstein Barr some kind of yeah. virus comes around, you're more susceptible because your defenses are down to like you know, which is kind of what I think happened with me, um, among others. But I think that's sort of how that occur- even Lyme disease a lot of times that's how that will occur. I hear. So anyway, um, thank you for that. Um, was that everything? Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. Okay. Um, okay, so um, Yelena, you were, as you said, referred to San Francisco Children's Hospital um, to a feed, I don't know if we got that far, but to a feeding yeah. therapist that would come to your home for each meal for two straight years. And But bubbling under the surface was the beginning of some of your own health issues. Yep. You had completely lost your menstrual cycle, which I presume was the result of losing an extreme amount of weight from stress. And um, that said, but you knew you wanted to have more children. After trying for two years, you followed that up with a round of IVF, which is in vitro fertilization, and you were able to get pregnant and give birth to your twins, Elizabeth and Eric. But um, before we get into what happens next with Alexandra, I'm curious about, 
Alexander, which was your firstborn. Um, I'm curious about your mindset at that point. You had infant twins. You were so thin, and you were needing to give what little nutrition you had to your babies through breast milk. Your older daughter, Alexander, was in and out of the hospital. Um, your husband was in law school. Was there a realization or an awareness that your body was beginning to deteriorate at that point? Well, um, just so after, after what gave me peace and where I started to start to move on from that is I, when Alexander was still at the hospital, like I said, she had a UTI and I saw the nurse give her medication through a syringe and she went super tiny amounts until she was able to feed her that medication. So I watched her and I had an aha moment that I could feed her my breast milk through that syringe. Mm. So I spent night and day giving her one milliliter, tiny, tiny amounts of food. And I was able to keep her alive Mm -hmm. for a whole, like until she started therapy at two and a half years old. Um, We were referred to before that to San Francisco Children's Hospital where they did some more testing. And that is where they told me, we're gonna have a doctor come down to your house from San Francisco. Um, She's going to have a consult with you. She'll go over all the things that we have um, discovered about Alexandra and what we have determined. That doctor traveled from San Francisco with the nurse that came to to my home um, in Sacramento. And she sat me down and she said, listen, your baby, there's nothing wrong with her physically. Your baby just has a really bad sensory problem in her oral, uh, in her mouth. Um, she is so sensitive that she cannot tolerate anything going through her mouth, mm. which I already knew because she was sensitive to smells, even looking at things like oatmeal or yogurt or glue or face painting or finger painting. She would throw up at the sight of it. Um, so play dates were, were no fun. Oh, going to the park um, or just, you know, seeing other people, uh, you know, just anything that would touch her mouth would just have her throw mm. up. Um, but when that doctor was there, despite of all of the struggles goals that I went through getting food in her and boy did I go through I would give this child anything to distract her to feed her with the syringe and I would follow her along with the syringe everywhere she went um, that it was like ridiculous she would be playing in the bath and I would sit there with the syringe she would I would sit her in the sink and give her I would give her whatever she wanted just stay as just don't pay attention to what I'm doing Mm -hmm. as I feed you this milk. And that I just, my whole life was surrounded by trying to feed this child. Um, During that period of time, I completely did not take care of myself at all. I did not eat properly. Constantly feeding her and feeding her and seeing her throw up gave me no appetite. And I was so obsessed with trying to get food in her that I... I just never even thought to myself, did I eat? Did I sleep? Did did I take a shower? Did I do any of this? I completely lost sight of anything that was happening with myself. Even though some people would sometimes tell me like, you're looking really thin. Are you okay? I'd be like, yeah, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. let's just move on. I let, let's, let's pay attention to Alexander. I was consumed by her well-being. But when that doctor was in my house and she looked at me and told me 
that there was nothing wrong with Alexandra and that she was a normal little girl that just had this crazy sensory problem, I couldn't help myself. I cried. I cried and cried and cried. And she just held me and she said she was going to help me. Um, And like, I just remember after her and the nurse left my home, they said they're going to come back the next day. They're going to weigh her. We're going to come up with this whole plan of how we're going to get her to eat. We're going to teach you. Everything is going to be okay. For the first time ever, I took a deep breath and I was like almost shaking and thinking to myself, oh my God, my nightmare is mm, going to end. What relief. And mm. I can't even believe that. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like she left my house and I was all sweaty from crying and feeding Alexander and doing all these things. And I went to take a shower. And as I walked through the mirror, I looked at myself and I thought to myself, oh my God, mm. I don't think I'm gonna live. Because I look like an, I look like a skeleton. I could see every bone through my skin, yeah. and I got scared. Yeah. I got scared that now my baby's gonna live. Because I didn't care if I was gonna live beforehand, mm-hmm. but I may not live <laughs> because yeah. I don't even know how. I don't have an appetite. I don't care to eat, and it's almost hard to eat, and. I got, I, I got really scared. I think, you know, when we're under stress, some people, I mean, I'm like you, when I'm under stress, I don't have any appetite at all. So yeah, I'll lose weight, here. but some people, yeah. they gain weight. And yeah. it's like everybody responds differently. Um, yeah. Uh, were you at that point, um, you, you, you clearly lost a lot of weight. You didn't have an appetite, but were you starting to experience, and we're going to go into this, obviously, that's, that's the purpose for the episode, but any chronic um, health symptoms at that point? Had you had your twins yet? No, no. No. Okay. This is, I didn't even, okay. the twins were not in the, even a mindset at that point. Okay. Um, you just knew that you had, were not eating and yeah. not taking care of yourself, but yeah. you were not going to the doctor for your own health quite yet. Nope. No. Okay. Um, my menstrual cycle never came back after I had Alexandra, which uh, is of course because of the stress. It was yeah. because of the weight loss. Um, There's no way that my body felt safe for me to have a menstrual cycle go through Mm -hmm. me again. Um, But after I took a shower and I got myself together, I decided I'm going to get healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to fix this. Everything is going to be okay. I opened up my laptop and I typed into Google search healing diet. And the first thing that came up are all these like raw food and fruits and vegetables. And I was like, what? Before we go into this, hold on a second, because I do want to, I do want to ask Katira something. Um, I think we as mothers don't give it a second thought. I mean, this is, I think this is important for, for, for all mothers listening. Um, We can also all take a, a lesson out of this. Um, we don't give it a second thought when our kids are in crisis and require our full attention. And everything we can give them, um, we give them. Um, and if I had been in your shoes, I know I would have done the very same thing. I, it's almost like, you know, you, what choice do we have? If it takes a toll on us, it takes a toll on us. Who cares? The issue with this, though, um, something that we learn in hindsight, always, um, we do run the risk on the back end of potentially setting ourselves up for being less capable when they need us down the road. And um, because in neglecting our, our own health in the moment, I think, um, I guess some of us will wind up, you know, not all of us, but some of us, you and I, will wind up um, 
paying the consequences later on and by extension the kids suffer as well so it seems like it's an impossible situation so i wanted to ask katira this magic question i'm sure we all wonder um is there a way to avoid this how can we give our kids everything they need without sabotaging our own health and you know the quality of care that we give them down the road well, I mean, I don't believe that, you know, we can give our children everything they need if we as the parent are running on empty and we're just not paying attention to our health needs, kind of like what Yolanda just mentioned. Um, you know, because many, many of you have heard this before, that if you're not taking care of yourself, it's, it's going to make it more difficult to take care of someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, and I believe this to be true. You have to find a way to balance meeting your needs as well as your children's needs, which can be tricky and a difficult task, um, but it's possible. Um, and, you know, are there ways to avoid running ourselves down to the point, you know, where we're neglecting our own needs for the sake of, you know, focusing solely on the needs of our children? I mean, yes. I mean, it just comes back to finding a way to reduce stress levels um, because they not only make you feel better, but they protect your health long term. So finding ways to boost your positive, you know, affect those feelings of happiness, joy, contentment, enthusiasm by, you know, making time for enjoyable activities every day is really important. Yeah. It's just hard when you're in fight or flight, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's where your support system needs to come in and really, you know, be the be the voice and be the one that forces you. You know, you need to do this, and I I will be there. But we as moms were stubborn. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Um, so d- yeah. So as you were saying during our pre interview, you spoke to me about um, your decision to adopt the raw food diet. You started by by googling healthy diets and went down the rabbit hole that led you to discovering the option to eat raw and the and the benefits of it. You you adhered to the diet for about a year initially you said it helped you put some weight back on it gave you some substantial nutrition that your body was lacking but when you consulted with a naturopath this part's really interesting to me she determined that you were malnourished and advised you to have your gut checked and test for SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth it's fun stuff um Mm -hmm. I've had it Uh, even though you weren't experiencing symptoms for SIBO what what can you tell us about what happened next because this is wild um, well, after um, after Alexander was in good hands, we had a good plan for her, and, and that was a long journey in itself. Um, we had a nurse that came down for all of her feedings. We tracked everything from liquids to output to input, everything. Um, it was very, very precise, very intense, but I felt in control because there was something that I can actually do to help her, um, which allowed me then to focus on myself and work on myself. And I discovered that I actually loved being a mom. I loved being a mom to Alexandra and I did want to have more children, but I knew that in order for that to happen, I need to get, I need to get healthy. Um, so even though the raw food diet has brought me some nutrition and some weight to be, have been gained back. Um, I, I still did not have my menstrual cycle back. Um, I started, um, I started going to see a doctor for infertility and we were doing all probably about a year and a half of infertility treatments and nothing was working. Um, after, after I have had my twins, it, thanks to IVF, um, 
which was a success and I'm so grateful for that. But now I start to realize that I went from one chronically stressed, malnourished person that then pushed her body to getting pregnant with twins through IVF, um, through being pumped with hormones um, and pushing and pushing and pushing it to the extent that it wasn't capable of doing it. But I was just so stubborn that I'm just going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I need and then we'll take care of the rest later. Um, I did have my babies and after I had my twins, my menstrual cycle was still not returning. Um, I was very, again, super stressed with having twins and again, not sleeping um, and running in this high cortisol lifestyle. Um, I decided that I'm going to go see a naturopathic doctor because I don't want to go on synthetic hormone replacement. I need to figure it out. Um, and I started working with her and we did a lot of tests and she told me that after reviewing my test that I was severely malnourished, which was a shocker to me because I told her, how can nothing that but nourishment. be? I'm like, I'm eating tubs of salads. I'm juicing all these greens. I'm eating all these nuts and seeds, like everything. Like everybody calls me the health nut of the decade. Like, was, Did she have an issue with the fact that you weren't eating like meat? Or like, what was her issue with that? Um, she, she encouraged me to eat meat, um, but she wasn't really pushing me towards it too much but she did tell me like all of she put me on a lot of supplements at okay. that point okay. a lot of supplements I mean I was taking supplements three times a day mm. handfuls mm -hmm. handfuls mm -hmm. of things and even though I I mean I'm sure that the supplements helped somewhat but it wasn't it wasn't changing the situation and then um, so we decided to dig in deeper. Um, we wanted to see what's going on with the gut. As you probably know that a lot of your hormones and conversions oh, happen yes. in your gut. Yeah. Um, and at that time, she had told me that I am positive for SIBO, mm. for methane and hydrogen. Mm. And she had told me some of the symptoms that people typically have with SIBO. And I looked at her and I said, I have none of those symptoms. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I like, that's crazy. I've never, I've never heard of somebody getting a positive SIBO test and not having symptoms because it's such an obvious. Well, now that I, saying. yeah, well, now that I have suffered from SIBO for almost seven years now, oh my uh, gosh. back and forth, mm -hmm. I now thinking back because I have so much brain fog during these seven yes, years and so much uh, memory loss that I am thinking back to myself now that I've done these SIBO tests so often, I'm starting to realize that I never think that I did the prep for SIBO <gasps> breath test. Oh. And I think, and I don't recall her telling me to do a sentence, oh, that's but it was probably me not reading the directions. Oh, I don't important. know. Oh, shoot. I don't know. Wow. But this is like a discovery that I'm coming up yeah. just now recently because thinking of how hardcore... It's a prep. Um, yeah, no, I remember. How court v, uh, like raw foodist I am. I oh, would okay. never yeah. eat any of those prep foods like yeah. white rice or eggs. white bread or it eggs. Was like or very just, specific. Yes, very yeah. specific to prep you for that test. So... 
Um, I do remember at some point reaching out to the secretary and telling her like, I, I can't, I'm not gonna eat any of those foods. And she just said, just do the best of your ability. Hmm. And I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I just mm -hmm. ate a regular food diet and I don't think I ever had SIBO, but after I have been put on this antibiotic um, regiment that was all herbal, right? Herbal, yeah. um, about a month into it, I had reached out to my doctor and I said, uh, you know, doctor, remember all of those symptoms that you were telling me that people with SIBO have? I think I'm starting to get all of those symptoms. Like I am starting to get really constipated. I'm burping a lot. I'm so bloated. I feel I feel so yucky. I'm achy. Um, all these things. And she's like, "Oh, well, I'm sure that's die off." Um, she encouraged me to go get a colonics at least twice to three times a week. Continue with enemas. Continue to flush out all of those biotoxins. Um, and I for how long? For how many weeks? For for well, it was for another month because I was in the middle of my um, SIBO treatment. So yeah, I I pushed it on. And then after I had completed my antibiotics, I was even worse. I was so miserable. I was not able to go to the bathroom on my own at all. I was dependent on laxatives and tons of magnesium and all kinds of things. Um, so after that, I, we've tried a couple, we tried just doing regular antibiotics, um, which at that point, because I was not working, I had no health insurance. So I was told my husband, like, I'm going to be paying this naturopathic doctor mm -hmm. my health insurance that you would have been paying for. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go through a regular doctor. I'm going to go with her. So I like these treatments were so expensive and they were draining yes. us. Because I think it's important too. like, if you do not have a chronic condition, you may not know this. Um, yeah. First of all, when you get diagnosed with a chronic condition, if Okay, I have to really filter myself here because I'm very opinionated on this topic. But it's my opinion that you should get a few different opinions. Like, listen, like you're, every doctor has their own philosophy. And I, I am pro-naturopath. And I'm, I mean, I have one of everything. I have one, like one doctor for everything because I wanted to consult the team and then decide how I, what approach I want to take. I don't want to just go by, you know, one person's doctrine and what they think. So anyway, um, um, when, if you do have a chronic illness and if it is sort of difficult to deal with, and it is kind of outside the scope of like what Western medicine deals with, which is SIBO, usually they don't usually address that kind of stuff. Um, they don't really address gut health much at all. Um, it, you, insurance doesn't cover it. No, no insurance does not cover it. And it is very, very expensive. I mean, yeah. my heart breaks for, I mean, I know I'm gonna have so many people listening from the chronic illness community, um, because a lot of my, my, my social media is that community. Um, they don't, they are out of options. I mean, they, if their insurance doesn't cover it, it's like, okay, well, good. I mean, good luck. I mean, they don't, and I, and I've been in those shoes too, where, you know, you're, um, in the beginning. So, um, so you were, you had to go back to work in order to get enough money to be able to take care of your medical issue. And so you started working as a patient care technician at Kaiser. Yeah. What happened? Um, yeah. So after I was at a place where I had no other options, I decided um, a lot of my family members were working at uh, Kaiser as a patient care technician, uh, technician for dialysis. And um, 
I was so eager to get a job so that I can get health insurance and be able to afford some of this treatment and some of this uh, antibiotics. Like rifaximin is a, a common antibiotics used for SIBO and it is very, 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 very expensive. Yeah. And I paid for a round of it once. You know, just for those listening and for you too, get it from Canada. Did yes. you get it from Canada? I did that too. Oh, you did? Okay, I, I was just say it's cheaper for anybody. Um, I, I got it from Canada, but I only got half the pills, and then I had to purchase the other half from Kaiser. And um, yeah, uh, I was excited to get this job. I did not realize um, that I would be worried. Well, I, I, I realized that my days would be very long. I would be working three days a week, but it would be 12 to 14 hour shifts and my shift would start at 3 a.m. Is this every in the morning. hospital? Um, this is, no, this is uh, they have sp separate dialysis clinics. Oh, dialysis, okay. Um, so I did my um, schooling for to become a patient care technician. I got certified and I went in full force um, because as soon as you got certified, you were able to get your insurance. And I, basically started working and started treating SIBO at the same time because I was able to get the antibiotics from the doctor and uh, the stress of starting a new job, the stress of not sleeping, having the twins, my twins were at that point two years old, um, going on about two and a half uh, or so, um, going on three and I was pushing all like 100% of everything that I can give, I was putting out. And in order for me to get this job, um, uh, the other th benefits that came with it is that I was able to put my kids into a before and after school care program that was provided for families that um, were under a certain income threshold. Um, and so I was super excited to have that. My son at that point was diagnosed with autism and was starting treatment there. How old were, how old were your kids at that point? Um, Eric was diagnosed at two and a half years old Okay, and started treatment shortly after, after that. So this would have been like five years ago-ish? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So I all of all of those things were all great things for me but I was dying inside because I was not sleeping and I couldn't back up because now I had set up all of these things like I had insurance my kids had before and after school care I had my kids at a good school. You're making an income? Uh, yes, yes. I felt like I, there's like st quitting is not an option. That's all for part one of this episode. The story continues in part two and is available now.